Hello, and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And one way to do that, we think, is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to use an anti-oppression, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Kaufersamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Battle. This episode was written by Herbert Wright and Larry Forrester and directed by Rob Bowman. It first aired on November 14th, 1987. So for today's check-in, let's talk about uh, memory a little bit, if that's okay with you, Matthew. Yeah, I guess so. You just finished making fun of my memory. I did, yes, yes. So uh, you and I have different experiences about memory, which I think is perfectly exemplified by the fact that I remember having conversations about memory with you and you don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember those conversations. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've so I have like a really I have a really strong memory for things like like events that have happened in my life, stories, mm-hmm. um, including like TV shows and movies. So and, and it's like a very specific memory. So I'm I'm known among many of my friends as like I, apparently I'll I'll sometimes bring things up that people are like I wanted to forget that why do you keep bringing up that thing that happened friends of mine from high school they'll be talking about something that happened vaguely when we were in high school and I'll be like oh yeah and then this happened and then this other thing happened and then that other thing happened and people are just like okay Ruthie like we don't <laughs> we don't need the full the full story of everything that happened that day for narrative like I remember very specific details from from movies, from uh, shows, things that like narratives that people have told me. But I think my personal experiences with people, I tend to remember a lot more the emotion mm. of the experience rather than the specific details. So that happens to me in conversations. Sometimes I'll remember, especially in difficult conversations. If I have a difficult conversation or a conflict with a person, even if the conflict is resolved at the end of the conversation, because the conflict itself was kind of the overriding emotion. I won't always remember why the conflict was resolved. And sometimes I'll have to revisit those hard conversations with people afterward. And so it's it's that that I find difficult. Interesting. Yeah, one thing that I've actually found um, when it comes to conflict is that I have to be able to like let things go because, you know, in the heat of the moment, someone might say something and not like, not like something like super offensive or like super hurtful, but like I need to not let, like I, I I needed to learn not to hold people to to exactly what they said in conversations that we had, especially difficult conversations, because I need to remember that the at the time people were probably those people that I was having conversations with were probably processing their feelings and sure. and sort of sorting out what they were thinking and that I can't then take anything, like everything that they said as a verbal contract. Yeah, and then also because in the heat of those situations, people, I think, forget or don't always remember the details of everything that they've been saying. If you and I, and I don't think this has happened, but if you and I like had a conflict, if this had happened before I'd done this sort of self-reflection, if you and I had a conflict, you would be like in your remembering that conflict, you would focus on the emotions and I would be focusing like on what you said, which wouldn't be fair to you to be like, well, you said we were going to do this and this, or you said you were going to make, I don't know, do this thing. And for sure, we need to like hold people accountable. And if someone says like, I'm going to change this behavior, then it's reasonable to expect that they'll change that behavior. 
but you also can't treat a conversation as like a set in stone 100% contractual agreement of of what people are going to do for the rest of their lives, even though I might remember it for the rest of my life. That's kind of what this episode's about, because it's it's two sides remembering or at least presenting a conflict in two very different ways and how the conflict is remembered by two different sides in different ways yeah. as well. This episode, this episode freaks me out. When things happen that make me question my memory, because my memory is so good, I rely on it so much. So when something comes up to make me question my memory, like when I learned that that memories rewrite themselves, that was scary information for me. And I was like, wait, so some of my memories might be wrong. Oh, interesting. So in, in what, okay, so in what way can a memory rewrite itself? How does that happen? The way I understand it, and I am not a neuroscientist by any means. Are you? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm absolutely Maybe positive. you forgot. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. So the way, the way I understand it is that when you relive or rethink a memory, it gets rewritten into your brain the way you rethink it. So if you omit certain details as you're remembering it, then those details kind of get pushed away. Wow. And the ones that you do remember get sort of more solidified. So then you might, maybe not you, because I don't know if you treat your memory the way that I do, but like, so when I think of something, I really feel like I'm remembering it exactly as it happened. But because I probably focus on some details over others, I probably am omitting and then also changing those details. I've been working on a, a documentary for a while now, as you know, uh, called Chasing Atlantis. And part of it is revisiting childhood experiences of space and revisiting childhood dream of space now later in your in your adult life. And part of that, we wanted to go back and interview my grandfather, who got me into astronomy. And I had worried that a very poignant memory of my time with him when I was young was maybe rewritten mm. or I had imagined mm. So it was a memory of, of going to spend time with him. I think I might have talked about it in a previous episode, but time with him on, on the dock out of the cottage that he had in northern Ontario or the outside of the lights of the city. But there was one, one moment in particular I remember him showing me the, the Andromeda galaxy. And it stands out to me as like one of the most, I think, influential moments of my childhood because it was like what the clearest memory I have in my past of feeling a sense of wonder, like the first clear memory of wonder itself, of wonderment. But I thought maybe I'd made it up. So to prove it to myself, I was like, okay, when we go back out there to film, I know what quadrant of the sky I remember him pointing it out in. And if we go back and that's where it actually is in the summer, because that's where we used to go in the summertime, then that's probably like pretty accurate because I don't remember the orientation of the cottage relative to the sky or any of that stuff, right? So we went there and uh, we set up on the dock and I got a camera set up and we we did our compass orientation and I was like, I took a photo to also have the picture with me, but I'm like, yeah, that part of the sky where I remember him pointing out where the galaxy is, is that's where Andromeda was exactly hanging over the cottage in the night skies. It was this kind of reaffirmation that, yeah, that's a real childhood memory. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that is nice. I mean, I do have, I, I will sometimes like relate a story from from memory to someone who was there and and they will like confirm it and and it's, it's one thing that I think is nice and I hope is like a gift that I can can provide for people is that like they'll remember it but be like, oh, I never would have thought of that or remembered it until you said it. 
I stored the like access to the file, but once I like opened it up, they had they had the file. Yeah. So I I, I like being able to do that. Memory is interesting that way. It's, it's one of those things that like in Star Trek and in other science fictions, people are able to transfer their consciousness sometimes mm. into like a machine or into another body. And I was like, how? But if memory stored so strangely in different chemical branches of our minds, like could all of that stuff actually just be transferred to another brain or another body? I don't know. Is that Would that ever be possible? I'm not sure. This is, again, like veering far away from my expertise, but I feel like memory is a thing that's like not super understood. What is memory? What is memory? Yeah. And like you said, it's so plastic. Yeah. And maybe, but I think this is something we'll talk about through the episode, the plasticity of memory can be taken advantage of by other people too. Totally. And by yourself. Yeah. Like I think by we, yourself, yeah. and again, we'll get into this more, but like we can rewrite our memories in our brain. So like if we screw up in some way, we can... We can remember it differently because we, it's not pleasant to remember ourselves as like the villain in a story. So we can change that. Yeah. We justify it after the fact and then we remember the justification and not the real thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Scary. So what happens in this episode, Matthew? In this episode, the crew of a Ferengi ship give Picard the Stargazer, a ship he once commanded that was lost in battle. But it turns out their motives might not be as generous or profitable. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So we're back with the Ferengi with that funny shaped ship <laughs> cross between a croissant and a slug. Oh, I never thought of it like <laughs> croissant slug. I like that. That's a great description of Ferengi ships. Yeah, it's what it is, right? Like it's this weird slimy croissant. Or like a snail croissant. Yeah. Like the head of it looks like a snail. Oh, yeah, yeah, thought yeah. Of it. They don't. They don't seem very menacing anyway. So the Enterprise is meeting up with the Ferengi because the Ferengi have a gift for them. The Enterprise has been ordered by Starfleet to meet up with the Ferengi, but they've just been waiting for the past three days. The Ferengi have just been telling them, stand by Enterprise, stand by Enterprise. And being on hold for three days sounds terrible. <laughs> There's probably bad music too. Yeah, I don't know if Ferengi music would be very yeah. great. But at the same time, like as they're approaching, Picard has been noticing that he has a headache. Yeah. And so he calls Crusher to his quarters and he has a headache. And she's like, well, you should go to sick babe. They make a big scene here about the fact that like headaches are rare. People don't have them anymore. Yeah. You know, and she says that was before we'd mapped the brain yeah. and understand why these things happen. And understand and the, people used the to, nature of pain. <laughs> and when people used to suffer from the common cold. It's another one of these things like that they do a lot in the first season to yeah. say, we're not, we're in the future now, yeah. you know. Yeah, we don't have headaches. We don't don't have the common cold anymore because we we know how science works now yeah and we understand the nature of pain picard thinks he's just like stressed about what the ferengi are up to it's a little like he's a i mean i guess this is a little bit of his character that he like calls her to his quarters to examine his headache but then when she says he has to go to sick bay he's like oh come on it's nothing yeah, it's just a headache. And then she's like, no, well, you did call me to your <laughs> yeah. quarters to check it out. It's bad enough that you called me here, so. Yeah, and she reminds him that she's the one person on the ship that can actually give him an order. And I like that because that that dynamic between them, I mean, as they become more familiar with each other as shipmates, like that dynamic, I think, is softened a bit. But in the, in the early season, I like the fact that she can be there and call him on his crap sometimes. Yeah, and it's important for the doctor to be able to, to, well, it's important for someone to be able to call the captain on his crap. I feel like ship's counselors should also be able to give orders like that. Totally. And Picard needs that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess he's allowed to disobey the order because the Ferengi finally respond. And so they go to the bridge and they talk with Damon Bach who says that he needs to talk to Picard 
in person. And it's interesting, Troy's the one who who tells Tasha to cut the transmission because she senses deception, which I think is not consistent with how telepathy and Ferengi work. Oh, right. Yeah, because later on they say that telepath- earlier, empaths earlier can't they read. Said they couldn't read, right? Like in the first episode where we met the Ferengi, she couldn't read them. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, I guess maybe we could... We could headcanon retcon in and just say that she's also probably an expert in just reading people. <laughs> she's just perceptive and she, she's like, this, this isn't good. <laughs> this isn't good, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The Ferengi apparently communicate from just a blank white void. Yeah, that might be like a set <laughs> budget issue. I was wondering about that. I'm like, maybe they just, they're like, oh, we forgot we needed to build yeah, this set. Yeah, because later just, in the like, episode, we see Damon Bach in a room. We all want to choose our good like Zoom backgrounds when we're like, having meetings and stuff, <laughs> their Zoom background is like just a white wall. Yeah, they're like, that's all we, that's what we have. Picard makes it to sickbay and Crusher cloaks the pain. He he mentions the pain is gone, but she's basically just give him like a pain suppressant. Yeah. Uh, and he makes it back onto the bridge where Wesley shows up all of a sudden and is like, hey, I fixed our long range sensors and made them better, which Data is super interested <laughs> in. But as a result, he manages to detect that there's a new ship coming in. Yeah. And it's a Constellation class Federation ship. Yeah. He gets kind of chewed out for this. This is not Wesley's best episode. He shows up twice and he's... I mean, he's acting like a teenager, which is totally understandable, given that that's what he is. Um, But, like, Picard kind of tells him off that, like, okay, so if you found something in engineering, you should have told us from engineering, not come onto the bridge so that you just happened to be here while the, when the Ferengi showed up. Yeah, Picard calls him. He's like, you just want to be part of the action. The one thing I will say is that given where we were a couple episodes ago, it's totally cool with him to just show up on the bridge now. Yeah. Before he got yelled at even being in the turbo lift. He's an acting ensign, right? He's got his spiffy little uniform that has the three colors on it. He's got his so red, yellow, and blue. I think there's shirts that you can get that have, have that, that on that it. Little, the little stripes. Yeah, or I've seen ones that say like, I heart Wesley and the heart is like the three colored uh, stripes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I so like good. The intruder is this like constellation class federation ship. And then Picard like starts just having trouble like holding things together. He's having his headache. Riker's like, okay, it's time. And and Picard's just like, time for, oh, oh, right. Yeah, the Ferengi are coming. Seriously distracted. The Ferengi show up. They're not nearly as like over the top as they were in the previous episodes. They kind of toned them down a little bit. First of all, they beam right on the bridge, which seems like if they were concerned about security... Maybe that's not the place to put them. Yeah. In the other episodes, well, at least in future episodes, when they have security issues, it's like trying to keep everyone from reaching the bridge, not like beaming them directly (laughs) onto the command center of your vessel. Yeah. So they beam them onto the bridge. You know, they're acting like Ferengi. They want to buy data. Riker makes a a joke about like, oh, no, you wouldn't want him. He's secondhand merchandise. And maybe (laughs) when someone talks about wanting to buy a person, maybe maybe we don't joke about that. Like, maybe we say like, no, our crew members are not for sale. Not for sale, yeah. I think it was Riker's way of trying to like deflect yeah. and just get them to not pay attention anymore. Is Data secondhand merchandise? No, we don't know for he's that. He's not merchandise. Like no one. We don't know him. yet. Yeah. We haven't. We haven't yet established his rights as a person. No, we we don't know. We don't know. We had that whole conversation in the first episode about how he his uh, rank is real. It's not honorary. Yeah, yeah. He had to make that point to Riker in uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. So they make a point to say that the Stargazer is this artifact that's been left over from the Battle 
of Maxia yeah. and that they're giving it back to Picard, who is the hero of Maxia. And Picard is first confused. He he doesn't make the connection yeah. back to Maxia at all. Yeah, he because memory. So yeah, to him. And and it sort of comes up, data kind of explains. He's like, Oh, I think they were they're talking about something that happened in the Maxia system that there was an unidentified ship showed up and was firing on the Stargazer when Picard was in command of it. Picard destroyed that ship. But the Ferengi are like, what do you mean an unidentified ship? It was a Ferengi ship. Right. And and Data points out that in the logs, the ship had never identified itself. Yeah. So Picard didn't even know. I guess he probably didn't know until that moment. Yeah, no. That what the ship that they had destroyed was a Ferengi vessel. He didn't think of that as a battle. That was just a way that he, a situation that he got out of. Mm-hmm. Damon Bach says, we're going to give you this ship. And his two, like his first officer and his other officer, Kazago and Rada, are just appalled that he's giving it to them and not selling it remember the ferengi are are yankee traders they are all about profit they don't they don't give gifts yeah this is a hyper capitalistic society yeah and so then like picard gets another headache wave and you can see troy feels it too like she senses it and senses that there is it's connected to something from his past Picard goes to sickbay and it happens in sickbay and then later in the observation lounge that he really gets like caught up in his memories. Like in sickbay, he thinks he's smelling smoke from when the the stargazer was on fire. And then it happens again in the observation lounge. Yeah, he's actually asking people like, don't you smell smoke? Yeah, and and in the observation lounge, he starts talking to people like he realizes he's speaking in the present tense about this thing that happened in the past. This is where they first introduce the Picard maneuver. Yes. Where this is the way that Picard managed to get away from this vessel because they were heavily damaged yeah. and he needed to outmaneuver them. So what he does is he accelerates the ship to warp speed and drops out of warp speed at close range to the ship. And so relative to the ship, it looks like the Stargazer is in two places at once. Yeah. The enemy vessel fires on the wrong ship and they fire on the Ferengi and destroy them. And it, it really does seem like it was a a last ditch effort to just get out of this alive. I mean, it's. I think it's so cute the way Riker responds because Picard says, I did what any good helmsman would have done. And Riker's just like, well, you did it first, sir. Like he's just yeah. so in love with his captain and it's so One sweet. One for the history books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like so enamored with him. He really is. Picard's clearly proud of himself when he first describes it. He's got the gestures and he's like, I kicked it into high warp and here we went. He's like proud, but he's trying to like stay humble, I feel. Yeah. And Riker's yeah, just professional. like, I feel like Riker is just so proud to be serving under this amazing captain. And we've talked about how like they they really haven't established their relationships in the first season. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you can see at times like the warmth the actors have for each other showing through in the characters. So they go down to the ship. They they check it out for, I guess, traps or whatever. They clearly don't check it very carefully because they miss the... Uh, the trap. <laughs> the trap. <laughs> but apparently they look at it. It's fine. So Picard goes down. And I really loved the score in this scene. I don't know if you noticed, but... It, it was like the theme song, the like, da-da-da, da-da-da, but it was slowed down and it was actually really similar. Do you remember in the trailer for the show, Picard, like before the show was on, on the air, they like, for the trailer, they had all kinds of music, but then at the very end, they had the, the TNG theme song slowed down. 
Right. Yeah. Right before the the episode begins. Yeah. Right? No. Not not in the not in the like opening, but like in the in the trailer for it. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Yes, so yes, and I, I feel like they played something really similar to that. It is really beautiful. I think I love this episode because I just I I love seeing Picard connect to his past like that, and just he's so sentimental. Does the stargazer model in the ready room already by this point? I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. Now I feel like I should go back and watch the episode and see if they've already put it there. But this is one of the first times that they establish what having a previous captaincy yeah. is like. Because in contrast to, say, Kirk, the Enterprise was Kirk's first command. Whereas Picard, he's kind of older. He's older than Kirk. He's got these legacy commands that are in his past. And they decide to bring one of them back here. I think it kind of establishes him in having this kind of romantic seasoned connection to you, this past ship. Yeah. And then and so Data like reads uh, the last log. I'm going to change some of the language in it because I hate the like gendered language that people use for ships. But what he says is, we are forced to abandon our starship. May it find its way without us. And then he turns to the captain and says, apparently it did, sir, which yeah. I think is sweet. We find out at the end that this wasn't really the case, but the way Damon Bach presents it is like, well, we just found this ship drifting around. So we decided to give it back to you. So it, it does at this point seem this ship did find its way back to to the Federation, but it kind of seems at the end we kind of learned that, that that it wasn't a coincidence. Now Picard decides he wants to go check out his old quarters, go see his old cabin on the ship. And there's a glowy orb in it. It's increasing the pain of his headache. And we see in another scene that Bach has a twin to this orb that he's making adjustments on, and it's increasing the pain that Picard is feeling. It's a really funny scene, actually. It's like, well, this is convenient. Like, because he's in, he's got like an open suitcase, and he goes, he's in his cabin and he's looking at this open suitcase and then the headache comes on and in his like thrashing around with the headache, he like closes the suitcase. So that hides the orb. But like if he hadn't done that, someone else right. would have seen the orb. Like it's very lucky that he he, he like yeah. hit the suitcase. Like the security officers who should have swept like, the ship. Like crying out loud. <laughs> but that's okay. For plot yeah, purposes, yeah, yeah. we needed that. So Crusher's like, oh, you've got a headache again. Back to the ship. We'll we'll beam your stuff aboard. Right. Including the box yes, with the glory. Yes, of course. Even in his sleep is restless and he's having visions of what's going on. Uh, the suitcase and the stargazer in his yeah. quarters. The orb is, orb is making him dream about the Maxia. And at that point, he actually, like, in his quarters, starts to see visions of the old characters and, like, what's going on. His crew. His old crew. Yeah. So then Data discovers uh, a log from Picard on the Stargazer that's like a confession that he fired on a vessel that was waving a flag of truce, which is totally different from what Picard reported to Starfleet when this actually happened. He says he like mistook uh, this subspace antenna as a weapons cluster and and now i'm i just hope that you know this confession will will make me eligible for some leniency basically right that he's like instigated a war essentially they have to bring it to picard and they do and Riker doesn't believe it he's like we've already started to look in to see whether or not your voice has been replicated picard says like no i didn't record this but picard knows that Riker needs to transmit the results of what had happened or that, that they found this log yeah. back to Starfleet Command. And it's going to take a t- full two days to get a response. They've got some time. But I also think like that's an interesting 
Like, okay, so Picard knows that that's not what happened. But this is kind of like what we were talking about before with memory. We can rewrite our memories and our histories like that, right? Like, of course you wouldn't want to remember that. It would make so much more sense to justify to yourself, well, they were attacking on us. Obviously, in this case, it, it is a false log. So it's not like this thing that, that uh, Picard has justified to himself and then remembered differently. But that's, but one of the reasons that this episode is, so I think to me, like it's so moving and it's so scary is that it, I feel like that kind of thing is possible. We're recording this on January yeah. the 9th, right? And uh, just a couple days ago, we had people storming the US yeah. Capitol building and it was terrifying yeah. and scary. But I was thinking about how many of those people have been basically indoctrinated with with fake memories, They've been fed false narratives. Some of them are false historical yeah. narratives as well about their own nation. And this is what's happening. Like Damon Bach is giving fake news. Yeah. This is fake yeah. news that's used, being used to incite a conflict by a twisting mm-hmm. of history. In a way, it's we use the term gaslighting, but like this, that's essentially what's happening right now is that he's trying to gaslight Picard and gaslight the Federation because you've mentioned like the, the plasticity of memory, like because we're aware of that, if someone starts telling you that you remember something wrong often enough, you might actually start to believe them. And and it's for nefarious purposes. It's, it's to spark conflict. And certainly like we're seeing in the world right now, that sort of twisting of memory, of history, of narrative is being weaponized and is being used to spark a conflict. And it resulted, as far as I'm concerned, in, in what happened a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another piece with that is that people, since that that coup, since that that storming on the Capitol, people are trying to distance themselves from those actions. So, you know, pe- like like people resigning from their positions in Congress. In doing that, they, I think, are also likely telling themselves and then rewriting those memories and saying like, I supported Trump for these things, but I never supported that. When in reality, they were doing that groundwork of spreading those false narratives that led to this yeah, coup. Definitely. There are, you know, those those Congress people who are who are now resigning, they were not the ones storming the the Capitol, but they contributed to the conditions that allowed for that to happen. I find that this is a, a big theme throughout mm. Star Trek. Like it's not just in this episode, but in a number of the franchises that it's someone trying to incite conflict through false narrative, through false story, through the rewriting of history. It's never just like one person just invades another mm. person. It's information that's spread in order to make people feel like they're part of a righteous yeah. cause. Right. And so it's and it's it's dangerous that way. And then the way that like memory has changed to make people feel like they're on the right side of something. And so in a way, that's what this is trying to play off. It's trying to make Picard seem like the the enemy and then force the Federation, since they're trying to make overtures of peace with the Ferengi to say, hey, wait a second, like maybe we need to make him now a fall person in order to maintain peace or possibly go to war. It's rewriting the narrative so that he's on the wrong side of history rather than the right side Mm -hmm. of history. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it is the same the same thing. And and it works. When Crusher goes to examine Picard's headache because it's getting worse and she's like, okay, well, let's talk like emotionally. Like do you, you're clearly under a lot of stress. Do you want to talk about it? And he's feeling really guilty about the Battle of Maxia. Like he's, he says, he's like, I, I destroyed an entire ship. 
And he's he's starting to question himself. They talk about the false logs and she's very ready to believe that these logs are false. She doesn't seem to think it's there's any any chance that it's real. But he's really worried that maybe he wasn't like he says, was I in my right mind then? Maybe yeah. he didn't need to fire. And the other thing I would say that I think this episode doesn't this, this bothers me a bit about this episode. It happens a lot like in real life that like someone will find out some information about someone they know and say that can't be true because the person I know would never do that. An example that comes really obviously to me is like when there are when there's talk of like sexual assault, there are allegations about a person and you've got all of that person's friends saying, no, they never would have done that. But it's not it's not just just in that it also happens like with these white supremacists like, no, like my my buddy would never be part of a, a racist coup or you know, my my friend would never be racist or would never be homophobic or would never be transphobic. They're a good person. I think that. Like, again, in this episode, it does turn out that these logs are false. But this is some pretty damning evidence that Picard did do something wrong. And it's good that Picard is like, well, Riker, you need to contact Starfleet. And and Riker's like, I know. And it's also good that they're checking what the problem is with these logs. But I think as as people, we need to be really careful about being like, well, this information must be false because it doesn't square with what I know about this person. That's why it's it's great that Picard wants to work toward transparency. Yes. He's like, don't send the logs because I know they're false. He's like, no, send the logs because I know the truth will stand. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, he's like, okay, well, the truth might get known either way because now I'm not so sure anymore about what's going to be happening or what's going on. So it's a trusting in that process, in the legal process. Yeah. Or Riker tries to have a conversation with Kazago. Uh, Kazago. Yeah. I wanted to say Kazugo. <laughs> that's that's an instrument. First officer to first officer. Let's cut through the crap. I love that he says that. First officer to first officer. To me, it makes it seem like there's this this interspecies code of first officers. Come on. We're we're both first officers. We get each other. <laughs> the responsibilities of supporting our captain and the entire crew at once. Yeah. You know, that's a tough job. Oh, sure. Sometimes I bet you it's probably even harder than being a captain. Will you help me out with this? And he, Kazago doesn't really at that no, point. No, at first he's like, no. I. His captain is carrying out a course of action that's not going to give them any profit whatsoever. Yeah, his captain is acting against, I think, their prime directive. Oh, yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, their prime directive is profit yeah. motive. And he's like, how dare you insult us? We're just trying to give you a gift and then cuts them off. So Picard goes to sleep again and he has more of these vivid dreams. And then we see Bach on his ship with his orb twin and what he says is you will injure yourself the way you injured me that's some definite revenge talk data and jordy are at this point have already found that the log is a forgery so that tension doesn't last a super long time through the episode (laughs) that scene is so funny though data's like he starts talking about like checksum discrepancies and explaining and riker's like I don't want a computer science lesson. What happened? And then, like, there's this. Which is Data's lot in life for pretty much the entirety of Star Trek. He's so literal. He's like, well, one of them is a forgery. And Jordy says, the one we just found is a forgery. And Data's like, that's what I said. That's that's one of them. One of them is a that forgery. Yeah, literally one of them is a forgery, yeah. 
Oh, poor Data. Picard shows up and asks Riker to disengage the tractor beam and gives him like a snarky thing about lessons of inertia and conservation of tractor beam energy. And Riker's like, okay, but this does seem kind of irregular that we're just going to cut the stargazer loose. Yeah, he's just, you can tell it's he's not quite right at the moment. Wesley shows up and tells Dr. Crusher and Counselor Troy... Through a scan that he does, he finds that there's this signal that looks like a brain scan signal. Basically, it's like brainwave patterns that are being projected. I always wonder on Star Trek with like doctor-patient confidentiality because sickbay is just this open space. But he says that it looks like the same waves that are in Picard's brain scan. So he just looked over Picard's brain scan. Yeah, I guess they never really – there's a bit of a shortcut there because they're like, well, how would Wesley know that that was going yeah, he on? Said, no, he said he looked at them oh, he looked when, at them, when yeah. she was studying them. So – you know, he's he's just looking at his captain's brain scan. Nothing, nothing to worry about. Yeah, there's there. a lot of confidential information that seems to just totally. float around on a starship. Yeah, it's super yeah. weird. Everyone just talks about each other's yeah. like medical conditions <laughs> and stuff. Cool. Yeah. So this is like Wesley's second and I think last appearance in the episode. And so he tells them about that and they're like, okay, we got to tell uh, Riker because this is probably affecting Picard. And as they're leaving, right. he says, you're welcome, ladies. And then rolls his eyes and says, ugh. Adults. I got the adults part because, you know, whatever. That's the point of his role is to try to show that he's super smart, but still not totally accepted by the adults that he wants to be accepted by. I don't know what the ladies' comment was all about. But also, it was super weird because they 100% followed up on the thing he said. He was like, I found this important thing. And they were like, cool, we're going to deal with it. They didn't say thank you to him. Maybe that's what he's upset about but they they had to do this important thing because their captain is compromised he gave them information and they acted on it like why is he rolling his eyes at this you think about it by this time he's already been promoted to ensign what else do you want yeah acting ensign of course acting ensign so troy and crusher go to Riker, and they're like hey picard's brain might be compromised (laughs) basically by these and they're like we have to go tell him and he's like no 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 like we probably shouldn't because, or at first they they want to go tell the captain, but they decide yeah. to tell Riker because it's he's been compromised. And and Riker gets a little like snippy with them, like he's like he told you to go back to your stations. And I feel like this is another like clue that these characters haven't established their relationships yet. Like they don't they don't trust each other. There's still a new yeah. crew at this yeah. point. And when Riker is trying to find Picard, as they're doing the computer search to find him, he is already beamed over to the Stargazer. Bok is there and tells him that his son was commanding the ship that Picard has destroyed and then beams away knowing that Picard is now like fully engrossed in this recall of his experiences from battling on the Stargazer. That second orb that he had on his ship, he now has on the Stargazer and he leaves it on the Stargazer. So like it's acting really, really strongly on the bridge on the Enterprise. They they detect uh, this low intensity energy beam coming from the captain's quarters and like they realize that there's stuff from the Stargazer that they didn't go through that security just they're like wait there was a case that he brought back <laughs> it didn't seem suspicious so didn't, at all no one checked <laughs> yeah yeah darn it Riker tries to talk to Kazago again first officer to first officer and now he has this orb he shows it to to Kazago and Kazago's like whoa where did you get that 
That yeah. is for Tries to blame it on Picard for having illegal stuff. But meanwhile, Picard is like on the bridge and he's now like reliving the Battle of Maxia. We see some like nice acting with his, uh, like him coughing at the smoke. It's very like theater acting. I feel like they probably put that in there because they were like, oh, Patrick Stewart can can do this kind of acting. Yeah, act without anyone else actually yeah. around, which you often have to probably do probably, in theater yeah. acting. Riker and the rest of the crew establish like, okay, if he's living out the battle, I think Troy consented yeah. at this yeah. point too. She's like, He's he's in these memories. And so Riker realizes, well, if he's in those memories, he's going to try to do this Picard maneuver against us or use this Picard maneuver against us. So Riker's like, there is no defense. Yeah, because that's why like, it's such da, a da, good da. maneuver. <laughs> there's no that's defense right, yeah. against it. No def- you just, it's your trump card. You just use it every yeah. time. You can just get to win. Riker's like, well, devise one like right now. <laughs> Then Kazago shows up and he's like, uh, just FYI, this looks like a squabble between you two. We're not going to be involved anymore. Just going to leave. By the way, I have confined Bach because he was engaging in an unprofitable adventure. Little nod to Riker. There's some respect. Yeah. He's like, good luck, first officer Riker. Yeah. No, that first officer to first officer. Yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool, yeah. He's, cool. He's on board with that a little bit now. And then Data figures out that they, they can find a defense. They can tell which ship is the real one and which one is the image from warp speed based on gas compression in space. Yeah, it's com- it's compressing space gas. Yeah, You're like, yeah, cool, yeah. we'll roll Science, with that. That's there fine. There we go. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and so, but they're not going to fire on it. They're going to lock a tractor beam on it because they don't want to blow up their captain. They grab it out of warp drive with their tractor beam and then Riker contacts them and he's like, hey, look for that silver sphere. Okay. And Picard is like, who is yeah, this? I Who's have talking something to, to say about that silver sphere. Okay. If someone told me to look for a silver sphere and I saw that sphere... I would not think that I had found the right sphere. Yeah, why doesn't he say, shoot the glowing red sphere? It's, it's like silver on the bottom, <laughs> but it's like the glowing part is like orangey red. Yeah, I, I thought that myself. Yeah. I kind of overlooked it at the time, but that's a good point. It's uh, especially for someone who's having delusions and such, you might want to be <laughs> as clear be, yeah, as you possibly as, can. As accessible and clear as, as you can. Riker tells Picard to destroy the sphere, and he does. He shoots at it with his phaser. And then kind of jumps away with the, the explosion. It's very it's dramatic. It's very dramatic. And then Riker is all worried that he's he's dead. He's like, are you all right, Captain? Captain, are you all right? Captain, Captain, are you all right? But the smoke clears and Picard's conscious. He's on the floor and he gets up and he's like, where's Bach? Yeah. Apparently there's no profit in his vendetta. So he's removed from, from captaincy. And Picard replies by saying, in revenge, there never is. Which and I was like, is that always true? I don't know. It seemed like such a sweeping statement about revenge. The, the last line I find actually kind of interesting. Well, not the last last line, but his last line of this this section. He says, "Let the dead rest, and the past remain the past." Mm-hmm. Which I keep going back and forth on this because, on the one hand, I feel like the past is very much present in memory. Right? We've been talking. Yeah, about but memory. also like you know, with with history repeating itself and like things that are happening mm-hmm. now that maybe happened in Europe in the nineteen twenties and thirties, and like we, yeah. So so on the one hand, I kind of feel like well, the the past has to be present because we have to remember our past. But then on the other hand, maybe this is saying like don't repeat the mistakes of the past leave those in the past, don't have this sort of false nostalgia for the past. I wonder if it's a matter of having to tease it apart. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are some things about the past 
that i don't know being left in does does anything ever get truly left in the past like there are some things we might forcibly want to leave in the past and maybe that's how we rewrite our memories like you were saying there are things that i think we learn that we want to keep with us we all of all of starfleet tactics has the picard maneuver now yeah we've learned that there's loss and you know picard i think is trying to had tried to get over this loss of the stargazer but maybe that's something he needs to keep with him and remember so mm-hmm. i don't it's one of those like kind of cliche statements that i, I think is okay to p- pick at every once yeah. in a while because i maybe not all the past should be in the past like you said some of it we should remember so that we don't repeat the history yeah. that we are currently repeating yeah like but but then at the same time, in not repeating it, maybe that's us trying to leave it in the past. So I was actually reading an article in uh, is in the New York Times, and it's written by I believe it's Paul Kruger. Yeah, Paul Krugman. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, he's an opinion columnist and and written the New York Times. Um, and he was writing an article that came out uh, yeah uh, two days ago. It's called "Appeasement Got Us Where We Are," and he talks about appeasing. Uh, white supremacy, um, like neo-Nazi, like these people who we have not been hard on really when we think right. about it up until now and how that's the same thing that happened with Hitler in Europe in the 1920s and 30s. Right. It was like a policy of appeasement and that when we forget these things of like not standing firmly against the rise of this kind of like white supremacy fascism, then we get where we are, which is what happened last time is no one really wanted to stand up to Hitler all the way through because they felt doing so would actually like antagonize yeah. them further. But then because there were no consequences that like gave space for him to do more work. Like and yeah. And then a couple of days ago we had people literally walk right into yeah. the Capitol buildings. Yeah. So you're right. In 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 when it comes to conflict and history and memory, like I don't think it I don't think you can just say that to blanketly let the past remain the past. Like some things need to be kept with us as we yeah. go forward. And remembered, but also like you said, remembered accurately and fairly and and what needs to be in place for that to happen. Like Picard does. Like if we if we have two conflicts over a memory or over history, then we need to to send that to some kind of adjudication that's fair yeah. for us to be able to examine that properly. And even like just in thinking about this now and thinking about this like in the episode, it almost feels like Picard is kind of implying that Bach should just get over the fact that his son was killed, you know, let the past remain the past. Because I think one thing that that we as a, I don't know, that, that humans often do, I don't know if this is like cultural or what, but I think something that definitely happens is there's this idea of like, well, let's not bring up old history. Right. That's in the past. Let's not, and, and, but what, when people are bringing up that old history, often I think it's to like demonstrate a pattern of behavior that's, that's been problematic. And so when you say let's not bring up old history, what you're actually saying is like, let's not hold people accountable. Right. So no, this, this course of action that Bach was taking was not the appropriate one. But he is allowed to be angry that his son was killed. And he is, he's allowed to have those feelings and he, he needs to be able to like process them. And he's allowed to be angry at Picard for killing him, even if Picard was in a situation where I guess it seems like it was like either kill or be killed, but Bach is still allowed to be angry at him for that. He, he shouldn't be expected to just leave that in the past. The response was, well, they fired on me. Yeah. There's no, I'm sorry. It's never like, I'm really sorry. Like, 
I, I at least feel for what happened. In terms of, of not letting the past just to be the past and actually digging through it, thinking about how do you heal an entire country, maybe of conflict all at once? And looking back to like South Africa with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, that is an entire digging into history, yeah. having people share their history, share their pain, share their loss, to find common history, common narrative, narrative that everyone can understand, where people can recognize like the damage that was done to one another. I, I'm not saying that Bach was there and that that was possible. Right. But in this particular example, that because that probably wouldn't have happened. But it would have been nice to even say like, well, let's at least try for that. He might still say no and you still continue yeah. to have this conflict. But it would have been nice to at least have that even if it was a few lines of dialogue to say like, hey, listen, I understand what it's like to lose. Well, I guess Picard can't because he's never had right. kids, but have someone say like, I understand that you suffered this mm-hmm. loss and let's talk about it. Let's compare log entries. Let's like even maybe Bach seeing, he sees what Picard's reliving. He can see what that version of history even was, even though it's forced into the situation. But maybe when that happened, Bach's like, oh, wow, he was telling the truth. My son actually did fire on him first, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And that that there's probably like a reckoning with that of like it's it's probably a lot easier for Bach to think of his son as someone who was fired on like unprovoked as opposed to that he fired first like right. that's yeah. that's not a that's not a good memory to have of your dead child right that's that's hard yeah but but you know you have to be able to have that memory to heal yeah the focus of this episode is really like Bach's actions are wrong. And Picard's actions were always totally justified. Yeah, and, and trying to take advantage of a, of a vulnerability uh, in Picard mm-hmm. in this situation. So we're, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit when it comes to the Ferengi. The storytelling-wise, because they're, they're not really written to be a reconcilable enemy no. <laughs> in this case. That's not really their point yeah. of them, which is fine. Yeah. Forget it. But, you know, just kind of a, 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 in kind of reflecting on the current state of the totally, world. Totally, yeah. And I think it's also like this is one one criticism that I definitely have of Star Trek of this time is that it was a lot more like good versus evil there was less nuance than than there there were in later series like in later star trek series like even deep space nine had a lot more nuance and this idea of like there are the good people and the bad people was kind of picked apart a lot more but but tng especially early tng didn't really do that when star trek discovery came out recently and you know it's it's there's been some strong reaction from fans about that series. And some of the producers went back and found fan letters that had come out uh, attacking Deep Space Nine. Oh. And it was interesting because some people said, you know, this isn't Star Trek. I think those franchises do a really good job. But some people find a lot of comfort in having black and white enemy, good, evil. Whereas I, I feel like the series is at its best when it says, "Yeah, I'm not going to give spoilers, but I think in the second season, they, they do a good job of introducing something that can just be purely evil while allowing the rest of the species to have more of these like humanish interactions with each other that are more nuanced that way but we'll get there we'll get there we'll get i actually there. don't know what you're talking about i can't i can't think oh of it, great so you did not spoil anything right. <laughs> I don't great Huzzah. well done did we do it did we get the episode i think we did i think so Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn. You can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. It's all in the show notes. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know 
how your memory works and whether you've ever rewritten your memory. Thanks for listening. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And if you have a headache from space, listen to your doctor. <laughs>